GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. Was your water and electricity bill particularly high in January? If so, stick around to find out why. We'll be speaking to the Aquajib Chief Executive, Paul Singleton, who will answer your water and electricity billing questions. But first, we're going to spend most of the first half of this podcast talking about the Principal Auditor's Report. The GSD opposition says the government effectively delayed passing its accounts to the Principal Auditor for years. We'll speak to the Shadow Minister for Public Finances, Roy Clinton. And before that, the Chief Minister says he stopped excessive overtime highlighted in that report by the Principal Auditor. He stopped it as soon as it was brought to his attention, according to Fabian Picardo, who was speaking to our news editor, Christine Vasquez, who joins us now. Christine. I think it was one of the things that people found quite shocking. We, we know that it's been one of these forwarded many times on, on WhatsApp, uh, especially one example where somebody actually almost tripled their, their salary over 12 years. So um, that person would have been earning, uh, a bit, had a basic salary of over £500,000 over these 12 years and instead earned uh, almost £1.5 million. So that, I think, was one of the examples that has certainly sparked imagination. It sounds like a lot of money. And I suppose if there was that much work, then it might have been divided among more workers. Exactly. You could have employed three people to have done that job. If the work was justified. Yes. So. And But the chief minister says that, uh, that as soon as this was brought to his attention, he stopped it. Is yes, that right? He, he did not justify it at any point. He did say that the government had found it unacceptable and that it ha- when it was brought to his attention, he'd stopped the, the, the overtime practice. Um, so the chief minister spoke to me yesterday. But of course, what always happens after a five minute interview, you just don't have enough time to ask the, the questions and then you, you come back, you look at it, you, you think of more questions. And there are a lot of questions that still will need to be asked on who knew what when. Shall, shall we hear what the Chief Minister said first about the overtime? Yeah. I think this is it. When it was brought to my attention, I stopped it. And indeed, I didn't just stop it in that department. As a result, one of the things you will have seen now happens in the estimates of expenditure is that overtime has been brought to zero in every department. There is no discretionary overtime permitted. There is only provision for emergency overtime. Why? Because we could see that there was abuse going on in that case and in other cases of the way that overtime was being charged. And people were sometimes doubling their salary on the basis of overtime. So I suppose one of the questions is now, has the overall amount of overtime come down or has it come down in that section? So he referred there to emergency overtime. I suppose we have to understand as well what constitutes emergency overtime. Well, I I put it to the Chief Minister, how would we know whether that's true or not when the accounts are five years behind, five years delayed, uh, the actual accounts being published? Uh, Mr. Picardo explained the information is there in the annual estimates of expenditure, which would reveal that overtime has been brought down to zero. But then, of course, that raises the next question of why the chief minister 
hadn't been aware of the numbers beforehand uh, if they're there in in the um, in the estimates in, in the estimates and he also said um nothing is new that everything is there uh, before before parliament all the time so information there in supplementary appropriation bills he said and he accused the opposition of having missed this but then of course um he he did say that some of this overtime of of the same person had been happening in the previous administration which then <laughs> this whole thing begs a question of why he hadn't spotted it in opposition if it had happened um so i'm sure as you say a lot of pages are very very fat thick document um and there is a lot of unpacking to do and, and, and this is by no means uh, a one off no it's not like this, there's this one individual uh, he was he's been the subject of a, a news report and a lot of interest because he was the top overtime yes. earner uh, but not not because he was the only one uh, who was uh, earning money from the public purse, which the principal auditor uh, had questions about. There, yes, there are lots that, of questions throughout the document. There, there are a lot of questions throughout throughout the document. And, and as I say, I think it does boil down to who knew what when. Okay. Um, right, so to be continued then, I guess. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sure that we'll have a lot of opportunities to... to uh, talk to the politicians about this and to uh, ask for answers of why this this was allowed to happen for so long for 12 years what has happened has i mean has have any knuckles been wrapped or have we just carried on regardless you know yes the chief minister said he, it was stopped when he knew and that it's not happening now but okay are we looking back is has anybody been disciplined are any it, lessons learned uh, yes exactly i mean he, he so, has referred to the, say, the, the change in, in, in the government, the political government's approach to which, how overtime is billable. Which leads us to, to believe that the lessons have been learned, but what we don't know is whether any sort of action has been taken by um, for what happened over those years. And, uh, you know, we've mentioned the fact that this is a 900-page document which GBC will continue to look at. Um, the principal auditor's findings are available online if you'd like to look at them uh, we've linked to them via our website if that's uh, if that's easier for you to do gbc.gi/news uh, we did ask for an interview with anthony sacramento the principal auditor uh, and the office of the chief minister told gbc that um, it didn't think it was appropriate for the principal auditor to give an interview saying that he speaks through his report uh, which we'll continue to analyse. And, and then, uh, of course, we have the subject of the Public Accounts Committee, which is something that the, the auditor has called for. And um, another thing that it was sort of, the, if, if I could have the, the game in two halves, and Mr. Picard was interviewed yesterday. So the second half is that the Chief Minister said the government would continue going by the recommendations of the Commission on Democratic and Parliamentary Reform, which does not support the setting up of a public accounts committee. He said this was because, with all due respect to the principal auditor, the, the auditor audits, but the commission has more parliamentary experience. He also told GBC the GSLP Liberals had been given a mandate not to set up a public accounts committee in four successive elections. All right, let's, uh, let's hear Fabian Picardo's words on this. 
the auditor. He's a very experienced senior civil servant. He's got the post of principal auditor. He audits the accounts of Gibraltar, but he has no parliamentary experience. And so we're going to continue to take the advice of the Parliamentary Reform Commission that we established just for this purpose and that was specifically asked to look into this issue. And of course, the government's own position, which is the GSLP Liberal Party's position in four successive general election wins, including the last general election, where we sought a mandate not to have a public accounts committee, and that's what the public chose just some months ago. Fabian Picardo speaking to our news editor, Christine Vasquez. Uh, Christine, final word then on on the uh, principal auditor's report? I'm not very sure whether the public actually um, votes on a public accounts committee, whether it's something that that um, gives a lot of credence to the to an election result. But yes, uh, I asked him uh, whether about scrutiny and accountability, and he did say, "Well, ministers are answerable in Parliament." Gibraltar today with Jonathan Scott. We're talking about the principal auditor's account. Uh, the GSD has accused the government of blocking financial accountability by systematically delaying certain legislation in Parliament. The GSD says there is a legal obligation to pass the accounts to the principal auditor by no later than nine months after the end of a financial year and that uh, while there is uh, a law, while the law allows for an extension, the delay in taking the bills in Parliament took years uh, the Shadow Minister for Public Finances, Roy Clinton, joins us now. If I can, yep, uh, ask you just to move slightly to your left. Uh, Mr Clinton, good afternoon. And, and it sounds like a, a serious allegation that the, the GSD is making there. Uh, thank you. Good afternoon, Jonathan. It's not so much an allegation as a fact. Um, the the reason the principal orders report have been delayed for so long is because uh, the supplementary appropriation bills although published, were not actually taken in Parliament. And they sat there at the behest of the Chief Minister for years. So his his view was, under the Constitution, under Section 69 of the Constitution, he's required to present a bill for any supplementary appropriations. But with his um, very narrow-minded view of it, he, he claims it doesn't say he has to take the bill. So he, he, I mean, a lot of us aren't as familiar with the parliamentary processes, but uh, what you're saying is he he uh, conformed to the letter of the law, but not the spirit of it? Precisely. And and you think that he did that on purpose, or could it be that uh, the delay in publishing is perhaps justified given uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and, and, and the, the, you know, how much time has been taken up by Brexit, for example? No, I disagree. Look, the, the appropriation bills, are prepared um, well in advance uh, of, of any report being prepared. They were ready. Uh, they were ready to be taken in Parliament. And bear in mind, we're talking about a Parliament, not not this last Parliament, but the Parliament before that, um, back in 2019, they were ready. And I've mentioned it in my budget speeches for years after, on end, that they were sat there not being taken. And the result of that, which had nothing to do with COVID or Brexit, is that these reports are delayed. So, so the delay happened even before yes, well COVID before. and Brexit. So, how 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 soon they were ready? We're talking about 2016, 2017, uh, the, the earliest one. Well, no, the earliest, yeah, to 17, and then 17, 18. Yeah. So, um, so then uh, by by n- nine months after uh, the 2017 financial year closed, the accounts were there. So, by 2018, 
those accounts were there, certainly by 2019? Well, certainly, and, and the appropriation bills um, were out there. As I said, I referred to repeatedly in my budget speeches. So this is effectively, you're saying, five years late? Yes, absolutely. And uh, and what is the result of that delay for you, then? Well, the result of a delay um, is that, as I said, some of the information in there is old and cold. Uh, matters that may have happened five years ago, which may not have the urgency they have today. However, having said that, and this is where Fabian Bigalda really uh, tries to... Uh, uh, avoid the issue. Uh, the principal auditor raises other issues in terms of how public money has been spent in that period. And he does bring things up to date. He does talk about current matters, such as the accounts of the savings bank, which go up to March 2023. So, so the report is valuable. So the report is on the accounts of 2016, 2017, 2017, 2018, but then there are comments more generally. Correct. Correct. And and um, and let bring us into the the pictures as you understand it as shadow minister for public finances. Uh, what what is the role of the principal auditor? Do you think? Well, the first thing to understand is the principal auditor is by law and under the constitution a parliamentary officer. He doesn't report to the chief minister. He reports to parliament. So he is in essence independent of government. But he still comes as a, he's still sort of a government, oversees a government department and is a government officer? Well, it may be a historic anomaly. And if you read his report, there is, in fact, a draft Public Audit Act, which has been talked about for years by various principal auditors, in order to improve the independence of the principal auditor and their ability to do their job. And one of the issues that we've been talking about in, in, in the past day or so is uh, overtime, just because there are certain examples that help us to understand why this report, well, what the report is and, and why mm. it's valuable. And and there's the case of the highest earning um, public servant who, who had uh, an overtime bill uh, that um, was double on occasions, more than uh, or almost double, I should mm. say, almost double, just the overtime bill was almost double uh, his his actual salary. Uh, so instead of earning uh, a basic salary of £58,000, uh, he earned uh, £172,000 gross pay uh, for one particular year. Uh, and uh, uh, what's your view on, on this as an example of the sort of thing that you, you might want to have debated earlier in Parliament? Well, the thing is, this proves the value of the principal auditor's report and the importance of getting it in a timely manner. Now, um, the opposition does not have visibility to the level of this detail that the principal auditor has. We do not have the powers to go into the departments and audit their overtime. The principal auditor does. Now, what he does is he prepares a report and he presents it to Parliament. And then in Parliament, we can follow it up correctly. And this is why we need these reports on a more regular basis. Now, the Chief Minister says he stopped it as soon as he was aware. But if you look in the reports on page 235, this continued all the way up to 2020. Eight years of his government, in which he presented appropriation bills to Parliament and supplementary appropriation bills, which so included this I think it, of money. He, he was claiming last year that it happened for six years, but he stopped it as soon as he knew about it. Well, if you look at page 235, it would appear that he had carried on and that gives analysis for 12 years. Certainly, if you go back, uh, uh, yep, yeah, if you exclude 11, 12, that's eight years under his government. And um, he made the point that you, in opposition, should have spotted it because it was there in the estimates. The well, if anybody looks at the estimates and the 
and Fabian is very fond of saying, ah, oh, but they're only estimates, yeah? they're not the actual numbers, you will find that later on a lot of uh, additional elements suddenly appear in the supplementary appropriations. So there may be, for example, and they're very fond of doing this, put in a line of £1,000, and then the actual comes in a much higher number. And in any case, they're his estimates. He's the one who should have spotted it. And given that, uh, as the chief minister says, there was, uh, you know, there were, if we take the case of of, the, of overtime, uh, that this was happening for a number of years under the GSD as well, are we not really talking about uh, sort of political failure to, to deal with uh, this value for money question? Are we talking about systemic failure? Well, that's a good point. And what I would say to that is if we had a public accounts committee, which I've been advocating for, which historically in the UK is done on a cross-party basis, not on a partisan basis, these sorts of issues would be brought up and dealt with. And to what extent do you think it was a significant issue at election time? Because the Chief Minister made the point, and we heard him a short while ago on Gibraltar today, uh, saying that um, he has won an election at which he made clear that the GSLP Liberals did not think Gibraltar needs a public accounts committee because the Committee on Parliamentary Reform uh, said so, and, and he's going to stick to that conclusion. Well, look, it means worse than that because, you know, regardless of the results of the election, which, by the way, was wafer-thin, is hardly a resounding majority, um, he has actually gone on record saying that even if we had won the election, that the GSLP would not, as a matter of policy participate in a parliamentary public accounts committee. So they have no appetite to actually uh, look at the numbers, which obviously he doesn't understand, and make sure that we're getting value for money for the taxpayer. And given that uh, the the government has said that the principal auditor should speak through his report, uh, he has a, a clear view on the public accounts committee, um, and and perhaps you can you can talk about that for uh, for a moment. Well, certainly. Look, I mean, a public accounts committee is something I first proposed when I entered Parliament, and I actually presented a motion to Parliament in two thousand June two thousand sixteen, which the government rejected. Now, public accounts committees are are standard practice for parliaments all over the world, especially in the UK. The the UK Public Accounts Committee, uh, headed by Dame Meg uh, Hillier, is a very powerful select committee in the United Kingdom in, in Westminster had, and has a lot of respect. But what they do is they take reports from the National Audit Office and follow them up, and they will bring in witnesses and they will ask them the tough questions. Now, it's no, it's no good to have... Uh, a report that isn't followed up, that just sits on a desk afterwards. And unfortunately, this is what tends to happen with these reports. Very long reports uh, for a while, people will say, great, but then nothing actually happens in terms of follow-up. Uh, what went wrong? Why has it gone wrong? What are we doing to make sure it doesn't happen again? I mean, at the moment, we just have the Chief Minister's word that he stopped it. But there may be other things in this report that require attention too. And will will the report, the principal auditor's report, be debated in Parliament? Well, you know, um, I certainly intend to raise various matters that come out of the report in Parliament, and I don't discount bringing a motion to Parliament. And by way of um, disseminating the information in the principal auditor's report, uh, it's fair to say that uh, it's not just, he says, it's not just his view that there should be a public account 
committee. Uh, he says that he has spoken with his predecessors and all of them agree that there should be uh, a public accounts committee. And I think he makes the point that there weren't any auditors in the Committee on Democratic and Parliamentary Reform. And he says that he disagrees entirely with their conclusion on this point. Well, and, and so do I. I mean, the, the, with all due respect to the members of the Committee on Parliament, Democratic and Parliamentary Reform, None of them were actually auditors or accountants, and none of them were 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 of a view in terms of the 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 way Gibraltar's public finances, in terms of transparency and accountability, could be improved. Uh, they just drew on an example from I think the 1980s, uh, and and time has moved, and and you know, practices have changed, and uh, we can have a public accounts committee that functions well for the benefit of Gibraltar. This is not a partisan issue. On Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. It is the 1st of February. Did you feel La Cuesta de Enero? And was your electricity and water bill higher than normal last month? If you've got a question about that bill, or perhaps on your water and electricity billing more generally, then you can call us or send us a WhatsApp on 266 200 because we're joined now by the Aquajib Chief Executive, Paul Singleton. Good afternoon, Mr Singleton. Uh, are January bills generally higher then? Good afternoon. Um, it does It does happen um, for some for some customers. Uh, maybe if I can just explain how the how the process works and then perhaps it's easier to understand. Um, we have approximately 40,000 metres that we read uh, in Gibraltar. Half of those are electricity, half of those are water. Um, we read for um, and bill for, for GEA. Um, the vast majority of those metres are read every single month. So we have 90 plus percent read every single month. Um, and when we, in, because of that, they're, there are a few, very few customers that are actually estimated. Um, if they're estimated, it's clearly stated on your bill by the meter reading section um, that it's been estimated. So for most customers, they're, they're so, read every month. So this is uh, something that people think, no, that, uh, that, that maybe they estimated, maybe they didn't check the meters. I, I think sometimes that's what comes across to us when, when people call our customer services and stuff like that, which, which you know, could be, you know, a legitimate um, observation. Uh, the, to... to Make sure that we bill all of those customers. Um, we have to do it every single day. So generally, we read and bill every single day, um, and we try and read and bill customers on the same day or approximate same day every single month. Um, it's sometimes operationally not possible. December is one of those areas where it, it's not possible because of the Christmas break. Um, so what tends to happen is we have to squeeze those people who maybe would have been read at the end of the month. We squeeze those into the reading before before we break up for Christmas. So on this on this year, it was the 22nd uh, of December. Um, what then happens is that sometimes people will get a smaller bill uh, in December because it only applies for three weeks or, or two weeks or maybe, th you know. And then when we read normally back in January, um, they will tend to get, you know, perhaps a five or a six-week bill. And, and then people will, you know, generally maybe not observe that they had a smaller bill in, in, in December and, and, and be concerned that their January bills are higher. So, so the important point there, I suppose, is that uh, on balance, the, the, the bill reflects the amount of electricity 
and water that um, the clients have used uh, because if I'm not wrong you do uh, you work with the Gibraltar Electricity Authority you do their meter readings you handle billing for both water and electricity and Aquajib also receives the payments from from members of the public is that right yes we do that's right so where there are technical issues uh, or technical uh, questions on GEA they will deal with them but as far as reading billing collecting and collecting the monies that's that's all of our responsibility okay so so then uh, the billing reflects uh, the amount of electricity and water used and and who actually goes out to read the meters then i mean uh, how many uh, staff have you got and, and how do you go about doing that we have four meter readers um most of gibraltar is split into meter reading routes and and those four guys work diligently um most days of the month um to read uh, all of the, all of the, or approximately ninety percent plus of all of the meters every single month. So. Okay, and um, we've got a question. We've got a number of questions uh, for you. Some of them will be more oriented towards electricity, and, and you can take a view as to whether you're able to answer them or not. But this one is about water. Uh, it's from John. John says that when there's a salt water cut owing to an interruption to Aquajib's service. Um, it means that people have to use fresh water to flush their toilets and then their bill would subsequently be higher as a result of an, the service by Aquajib being interrupted. And, and John's question is, is that fair? Um, I mean, you can look at it on a couple of, in a couple of ways. I mean, I think the other way I would prefer to look at it is that the reality is we have a saltwater system uh, a dual system for that allows us to flush toilets. Um, imagine if we had just a single portable system, as is the case in most countries, um, and they had and you had to pay for the water that went down the toilet every single day. Um, I, I think we we benefit from not having to, uh, and I say not having to from a saltwater <laughs> rates perspective. I, you know, uh, it applies, but the reality is that we we don't pay for that water to a certain extent. So in the round, it is funded by the, the contract that we have with government. People um, pay less money in Gibraltar for flushing their toilets than they might expect to elsewhere. Yeah. Okay, there's a question from Jelaine. Jelaine says that studio bills were also higher, but the studio, her studio, was closed for a month during Christmas, um, and and yet her bill was higher. Is that something that is explainable? I mean, it, go, it goes back to the time indifference. So, so what we we generally always say to customers is to try and look at what your usage is per day. So if you look at how many days your bill is related to and what your usage is, and you look at it on a day-to-day basis, and you say, okay, I've used um, two units per day. Did I use two units per day in December, November, and so on and so forth? So am I, is it the same? Um, we, that's probably the best way for you to compare month-to-month bills. We've got, a, anecdotally, a few people who have spoken to us who say that they have um, uh, tried to understand their bill by calling uh, Aquajib and that they've also um, sort of had some explanations about December being generally a more energy-intensive uh, month, um, potentially because of Christmas lights and maybe hosting people uh, at home. Um, uh, it, does the same apply to, to water? I mean, I think I think it's incredibly valid. I mean, we we all went through COVID, um, and and when we came out of the other side of, of of the first lockdown, we were we were all stunned how much water and electricity we tended to use because we were at home. 
the, the reality is that for most people, and, and again, it's, it's, it's a vast majority of customers, but not all, um, you will be spending time at home over the Christmas period or spending time at, at relatives. And, and therefore, electricity and water does get used more in that respect. Steve says that he cannot understand your um, logic because he thinks that his meter readings were taken one month apart. Uh, the one for November, December, and the one for December, January. Um, but but I suppose you, you made the point that it's not everyone. The timing uh, issue won't be... affect everybody. Some people who were read on, you know, the first week of the month or first two weeks of the month will have still been read in the first two weeks of the month, in which case it may be an issue regarding consumption. Craig says that uh, he was away for a month on holiday and got charged as if he was living there. And then... Uh, to add insult to injury, he said he called to inquire about it and was basically told it is what it is. That you know, uh, we, we, that's 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 your bill. I mean, I think I think what what needs to be understood is is that because we read ninety percent plus of all of all the meters, the consumption is the actual consumption that's been used. People do have a, a, an element of responsibility to understand their consumption and understand whether it's high or whether it's not. If if there is a, a genuine reason why why he's used electricity or water, and because I don't know which one it's related to, um, while he was away, you know, if if it's water and I can talk on water aspects, you know, is there a leak at the property? Has has he checked his his, his property for leaks? We we have a, a growing. We all have uh, boilers. Um, we have a growing number of issues around um, the pressure relief valves on boilers. So for most people, you have this small. Uh, pipe that that runs out of the the outlet of the uh, the boiler and it will uh, reduce the pressure and it that water generally will run to waste if there's something wrong there or something faulty there you could just be losing water going to waste and you don't know about it these things you know you do need to check all all we can profess on per se is what has been used through the meter from a water perspective and an electricity perspective there's a question that's uh, come in from Stephen. Uh, he says, why don't we have smart meters for water and electricity? Uh, going around reading meters seems old-fashioned. It does, and from 2017, uh, certainly from, from a water perspective, um, I can say that we've been installing smart meters in every single new development from 2014, from 2017 onwards. Sorry, um, We have approximately a third of Gibraltar now has smart meters. Um, we're currently working and we're hoping within sort of the next 12 to 15 months on an app. Um, these smart meters will talk to the cloud. They will tell you your, they will connect to the cloud once a day. They will give you your consumption for the previous 24 hours. And so using this app that we are developing, you'll be able to see your water consumption um, for the last 24 hours or the previous day. And you'll be able to then assess okay, is there a problem, you know, where did I use that water? And it, it just raises, raises the, the knowledge. So we are, we are moving progressively to, towards smart metering. Okay, and uh, there's a commitment to um, retrofit as well. It's not just the, the new builds. It'll... Yes, no, we, 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 have a, we have a meter replacement program. Um, so as we replace meters, we, we replace them with smart meters. We don't replace them with, with, with the old-fashioned meters. Uh, ultimately, at some point, that, that, will, that will allow us to either read remotely and and push the button on on one day a month or we may, we, you know we may stay on the on 
on on the the, the way the billing is done now. It gives you um, more flexibility. It's, it's but we can certainly get those. It's a more intelligent inf- system. No? You get the information, and the information is there. We we've done it with people who've suffered from leaks, and they've contacted us, and they they come to us and they say, oh, and we say, well, we've actually got a smart meter. We can we can interrogate, and we can see that you've lost this water between this period and this period. Oh yeah, that's when I had a boiler a leak. Uh, blah blah blah, and you know, and, and those things we can we can have those conversations already with customers that that, that, that contact us. Good. That, that, that does sound sort of like progress, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, on that note, Gregory says, why in the in this age of technology is it that the grant cannot be shown on the bill? The grant is only given to old age pensioners when they are billed. So it's not like it sits there on your bill reducing your overall bill. So when you, you, you get, when we assign the grant, um, once a year, uh, the billing then gets. You get the billing for the month. We take an element off that grant, so it it just does not get showed on the bill. It's not it's not possible, I'm afraid. On water, um, Jocelyn says that she has a family of two: her husband and herself. And uh, her bill for January was 160 pounds, and she says that she didn't have she doesn't have a swimming pool, and nor did she leave Christmas lights on. Does that sound? I mean, what what's the average price for a family of uh, a, a cost for a family of two? So, so we find that on average, um, we use or individuals use approximately one unit, that's hundred liters, uh, per person per day. So uh, that, as a general rule of thumb, allows. That sounds people, like a lot. It is, but when you consider washing machines and dishwashers and you know all that kind of stuff as well, that is the general average. It's the average. Uh, you know, across across, it, it's slightly lower than the average in in the UK because obviously we have the dual system. Um, but one unit to one and a half units per person per day is very very is is very normal. A hundred to one hundred and fifty liters per person per day. Yeah. yeah. I suppose if you if you filled a bath, that would, that would easy to, yeah. to to get there. I suppose, yeah, yeah. That's right. or have a long shower. Um, okay, I wanted to ask you a, a number of questions that uh, are sort of um, out, outside of the the billing issue, if if you don't mind, because it's the first time that uh, we've spoken to you in a while. Um, we, we've been talking about wet wipes for a while. What's your view of the ongoing issues with sewers getting blocked on a daily basis to the tune of a million pounds a year from the government coffers? Um, are the pipes, are, are um, sewage pipes um, aquajibs? Uh, so as, as, as people may or may not be aware, we have a sewage contract with, with the government. Um, our contract is to maintain the uh, sewage pumping stations that are largely below sea level. Um, all gravity-based sewers are government's responsibility and, and they, they work on them. But we are responsible for pumping from most areas like Westside and places like that, which are below below the uh, the town sewer, the main sewer that runs down Lymore Road. Basically, any properties that are below the main sewer, we will have a pumping station. We have about 27 pumping stations around Gibraltar. And we have teams that are, are are responsible for maintaining the pumping stations and and making sure that sewage is then pumped into the main sewer. And wet wipes are a daily issue. Wet wipes are certainly a daily issue. We have we have the same issues as as recently what um, uh, certainly wastage have, have, have talked about and the conversations that people have had in the press. Um, wet wipes are are a, are a constant issue. 
I also wanted to ask you uh, about the Powers Drive tunnel fire because we, we talked to you quite a lot two summers yes. ago um, during during that and uh, there was of course a significant resulting impact on the supply of fresh water. Um, ha- has there been a, sort of like a, an investigation into that? Um, lessons learned? Um, I, don't... I mean, I think operationally there are always lessons learned that we, we, you know, we may have learned just automatically as a result of the process. Um, we are we are formalising our own our own internal um, review of that, um, which which we will do to make sure that and, and we will, and we will share that with our with our shareholders, um, and and that will give us uh, 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 the ability to provide an autopsy on on what happened and and what maybe we can make sure to do better next time if there is anything we can do better next time so, to so avoid it. F- forgive me because uh, I'm not sure if I remember all of the details but were the uh, reserves in the in the rock um, low at the time? The reserves were normal for um, that that period um, which obviously was a summer period where, 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 we, where we have a high usage uh, given the production that we had at that time. Um, I think it's fair to say that we are in a better position now because our production has has increased. We and there's been investment in an extra RO plant, so Rever- so reverse osmosis yep. to change salt water to fresh water. That's right. Yes, sorry. Um, um, we we have now six plants that that turn uh, salt water into fresh water. Um, at the time, we only had five, um, and that obviously allows us a little bit more flexibility. Um, uh, with regards to stocks and, and improving stocks at certain times of the year when 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 consumption is very very high. Okay, um, a question here uh, from uh, a Radio Gibraltar listener: uh, Could you please ask Mr. Singleton if the longer periods between bills uh, is it longer? Uh, secondary rate. Uh, it's longer. We are going to consume. If it's longer, we're going to consume at the secondary rate at a higher rate. So the higher. The bill becomes higher because because of that. I, I don't know if I fully follow, but okay. So so that and, and it does it, it may happen for some customers. And I think if 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 a customer genuinely feels that they because of the extended time of the January bill, they have gone into uh, secondary units um, where they normally wouldn't have gone into secondary units. Then I would urge them to contact us by by email or, or telephone, and we will certainly investigate that. We we have a method of correcting that. We can we can what we what we would do is is we would reverse off both the gen- December and January bills. We would apply two lots of primary units, and then we would bill for the the two month period, and then that would make ensure that that customer has got the their entire uh, amount of primary units. Okay. We've got a question here from Lewis for you. The FCA total says that that is, uh, depends on, on the cost of producing the electricity. Does that mean that it's now costing more to produce uh, the electricity than before? I can't specifically define what the FCA total is regards. What I can say is that the FCA total is fixed in the same way as the tariffs are fixed. So it's not; it doesn't flex on a monthly basis or anything like that. It change; it would only change with with tariffs. Okay. And last question goes to Hector. Thank you for getting in touch, Hector. Uh, Hector says, "Why uh, the introduction of the meter levy? And not only that, but if readings are thirty-one days apart, uh, you're charged five weeks, which is five pounds when it's only four weeks and three days." Uh, thank you. 
Um, the meter levy was introduced by government in uh, a, a couple of years ago. Um, I, the primary reason for that is to invest in the infrastructure, uh, the, the water and electricity infrastructure, um, which it does. Um, with regards to the four-week and five-week month, the reality is that we bill on a monthly basis. Um, so there will be four-week months and there will be five-week months. But in reality, you will only be charged for 52 weeks per year. So uh, on average, it'll, it'll yeah. even out over the year? And if it, and if it doesn't uh, even out from a July to June basis... Then, 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 please contact us, and we would we would look into it. And it'll also even out, I guess, on uh, uh, as you said earlier, on the basis of of usage. It, it it will be your bills should always reflect how much electricity and water you've used. Yes, just to reiterate I mean, that. Ultimately, the, the the real the real significant point is that because we read ninety plus percent of, of meters, the vast majority of individuals receive their actual consumption. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.